Gang, take your Bibles, if you will, and open them to John chapter 5. And let me read to you, beginning at verse 18, and we'll read through the verse, we'll read through verse 29. You follow in your copies of God's Word as we, um, as we start the new year here. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, But he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and and now is here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. The grass withers and the flower fades at the word of our God. It endures forever. Okay, Jimmy, it's, uh, it's, it's a new year, 2008. So what we want from you today is, is some kind of input that will help us live more meaningfully and more successfully in 2008. Okay, I'm going to give you that. But I need to warn you. The way that I uh, might define those terms might differ from the way that you might define those terms. <clears throat> let me let me let me use this term. I like this one. I want to give you input that will help you live a life that is more solid. It's more sane. And let me explain what I mean by that. A, a life that's more solid. Gang, ours is a day where we, we belong to a culture that is, is, is one riddled with mindless pluralism. Um, with, where, where it, it has become immorally wicked to suggest that some religions are, are wrong and others are right. Um, that's, that's, that's known as pluralism. 
That's not a big word. That's not a hard word. Pluralism just states that there's a plurality of truth out there. And um, I, for one, not only think that is wrong, I think it's cruel. I think it's cruel to do to you. Um, because it's cruel because it produces a, a shaky life. One where you never are able to feel that there's something solid underneath you. Um, guys, do, do you know who else agrees with me about this pluralism business? Islam. You know, I, I, um, I sometimes think that I have more in common with a Muslim than I do with some professing Christians. Because at least the, 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 every Muslim believes that, that truth is, is singular. It's a singular concept. It's not a, it's not a plural concept. It's a singular concept. Now we disagree, of course, as to what that truth is. But we agree on the fact that truth is singular. I'm saying to, to, to take that out from underneath you is to, is to force you to live a life that is with your feet firmly planted in midair. There's nothing solid underneath you. You probably already know that Christians and, and Christianity are, um, are much maligned Oh, much maligned because of our willingness to um, to call ourselves right and to call others wrong, all in the name of God. You know, the um, the world calls that fundamentalism, and they depict us as some kind of knuckle-dragging Neanderthals. And that, that's not a pretty, that's not a pretty picture they paint of us. Um, you, you can see it all in the, in the political campaigns of the day where the, where the evangelicals are supporting such and such a, you know, those stupid, knuckle-dragging, Neanderthal evangelicals. And that's, that's not, that's not a pleasant thought. Um, because we all saw 9-11 what fundamentalists can do. You know, very honestly, um, much of what is publicized today as being Christian fundamentalism makes me very nervous. And, and if I could, I can't, but if I could, um, I would, I, I would love to distance myself from, from all that is advertised as, or at least most of what is advertised as Christian fundamentalism. It is hated and vilified by the media. And very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, some of the media scorn we deserve. When, when, when Christians parade in a, in a parade and hold up placards that say, faggots are gonna burn in hell. We deserve scorn for something like, I, I just hope we didn't do it. But I did read one book that we did do it, but then they went on to suggest that maybe it was somebody else that was holding up. The, you know, I don't know who did it. But I do know that there is a man who is traveling around the country these days, and he's attending as many GI, American soldiers' uh, funerals as he can, 
And he's celebrating outside these funerals. I saw a news clip on this. And uh, he's, he's rejoicing that another American GI has been killed. And he's saying the reason that he's rejoicing is that because America approves of homosexuality and therefore uh, this is God's judgment and hi, yay, yay, another American GI has been killed. I, I don't want to be identified with that, but I am. I don't, I don't want anything to do with it, but I am. Because in one sense, gang... I am a fundamentalist. (laughs) I want to tell you about it this morning. I I want to try and explain why I'm not a part of that, but but why I'm still considered, and truly am, a, a fundamentalist. So, here goes. I want to introduce you this morning to a law of logic, an Aristotelian law of logic. Now, for those of you who graduated from the University of Tennessee, uh, Aristotelian means that it came from Aristotle. It is Aristotle's law of logic, and it is known as the law of the excluded middle. Have you ever heard of that? The law of the excluded middle. And I want to tell you about it this morning, and I want to do my best to try to make that as clear as I can possibly make it. And I'm telling you, if I can, 2008 will be more sane and more solid for you. I promise. First of all, let me illustrate what what I'm talking about when I talk about the middle. We'll we'll leap from Aristotle all the way to Holly Hunter. Now, you know who Holly Hunter is, don't you? Uh, Holly Hunter is the star of a, of a TV series in, known as um, Saving Grace. Um, she's, the, she's the lead player in Saving Grace, a TNT, made-for-television kind of series, and uh, that's Holly Hunter. And Holly Hunter was um, interviewed this past summer by the New York Times, and she said, and, and, and these are, this is almost quoting her. I might have it off a little bit, but Holly Hunter said in that interview, she said this, <clears throat> I'm spiritual, but do I believe in God? I'm not sure what that means. I believe in a higher energy, a collective consciousness, but I don't support organized religion. Now, gang, uh, polls would suggest that there are a lot of Holly Hunters out there. Actually, um, Holly Hunter's position is the majority position. The position that states that I, I'm not, I, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. That I do indeed value uh, a connection with God, but I want nothing to do with organized, institutionalized religion. Or... I occupy the middle. Let me give you another example of the middle. It's a little bit closer to home. Uh, if you come on Wednesday nights, and I wish you would, uh, guys, it's a it's a delightful time to be with God's people around the Word on Wednesday nights, and it's better than watching 
whatever is on on Wednesday nights. But um, but anyway, if you come on Wednesday nights, um, I, I, I said a lot about this back in September. Last summer, I was um, introduced to the local rabbi of Temple Israel. His name is Micah Greenstein, and he's a delightful fellow and really impressive man. And, and I enjoyed every one of my conversations with him. I really did. Well, in those conversations, uh, he asked me to read several books, which I did. One of which is this. Uh, I think I've alluded to this book before, but it certainly had left a mark on me. But <clears throat> this book is entitled The Misunderstood Jew. And you'll see Jesus' picture, at least that's what they say is Jesus. But of course, the misunderstood Jew is Jesus. Um, and the premise of this entire book is that Jesus is a misunderstood Jew. That's the title of the book. And she goes to great extremes to try to, and incorporate Jesus and his teaching into the larger corpus of Judaism. She says this, and I'm quoting, Jesus of Nazareth dressed like a Jew, prayed like a Jew, and most likely in Aramaic, instructed others, other Jews on how best to live according to commandments given by God to Moses, taught like a Jew, argued like a Jew with other Jews, and died like thousands of other Jews on a Roman cross. In other words, end of quote, in other words, Jesus is nothing special. He's nothing unique. He's just an ordinary Jewish rabbi who got himself killed because of his outspoken anti-Roman views like thousands of other Jews. Um, in terms of his teaching, the, she uses several things to try and demonstrate that his teaching is, is basically Judaistic. And interestingly, one of the ones that she used was the Lord's Prayer. And she says this, and I'm quoting again about the Lord's Prayer. She says, or the author is a woman, by the way, um, uh, Dr. Amy Jill Levine uh, teaches at Vanderbilt presently. But she says, nevertheless, perhaps this very Jewish prayer, the Lord's Prayer, recorded in the very Christian New Testament is something that grandparents and grandchildren and intermarried families could say together. The prayer is not to Jesus. It says nothing uniquely Christian. And it fits neatly within Jewish piety. In this way, Jesus truly does provide a bridge rather than a wedge between Christians and Jews. End of quote. She goes on to say on page 62... That the real founders of Christianity were Paul and Peter and James. And they, those three men, and I'm quoting here, transformed the Jewish sect into a Gentile phenomenon. End of quote. The author is desperate to make this point. Here's the point. Jesus was nothing unique. He's nothing special. He's just a misunderstood Jew. Christianity was created by Paul. Jesus was nothing more than a good moral teacher who was Jewish. Or the middle ground. There's nothing special. 
Nothing unique. He was just a good moral teacher. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the middle ground. Now, guys, don't misunderstand what I'm doing. This is not some diatribe against Judaism. Because, very frankly, that opinion about Jesus, that he's just a good moral teacher, that opinion is shared by virtually everyone except Christians. Mormonism, Islam, the media, the Jesus Seminar, the Encyclopedia Britannica, they all agree. Jesus was a good moral teacher. And my whole purpose this morning is to say to you that such a position is abject insanity. It it is a journey into irrationality. Did I say that clearly enough? Then let me try again. To say that Jesus is only a good moral teacher is a flight into the absurd. Now, guys, the rest of my time with you, I want to defend that statement. And I have given you a quote, an insert. This quote, it's a famous quote. You may not have read it before, but I wanted it in your hands because I want to I look at it with you. It comes from this book, C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. By the way, the word mere, he's using in the, word, in the way that we would use the word pure. Pure Christianity. This quote is right out of here. That's where, that's where I got it. Now, guys... I am trying to show you that to call Jesus a good moral teacher is a violation of a law of logic. An Aristotelian law of logic about the excluded mental. It is a flight into the absurd. It leaves you with a senseless, uh, a, 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 a shaky life. And if I can explain this, if God will grant me grace to explain this to you, You will never again be a pluralist. And something underneath you will solidify. All right. You know, to do that, you really need an angel up here, not Jimmy Young. You need somebody a whole lot more skilled than me. But you got me. You're stuck with me. So look at the quote. I'm going to read it to you. This is a famous quote, guys. Very frankly, keep this. Or I tell you what, better yet, go buy the book. This is from C.S. Lewis, and he says, I am trying here to prevent anyone saying the really foolish thing that people often say about him, about Jesus. I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on a level with the man who says he's a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool... You can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. 
But let us not come with any patronizing nonsense about his being a great human teacher. And this is my favorite sentences. He has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Guys, what our culture, that is the Holly Hunters and the and this book and, and the media, what our culture would have us believe is this. That Jesus is not God. No. But Jesus is no monster. No, no, no. He is in between those two. He's a good moral teacher. The middle. And C.S. Lewis is saying that Jesus has removed from you the option of the middle ground. I am saying to you that the middle ground is insanity. And let me show you why I'm saying that. Get your Bibles. Um, I, I really need to take the most amount of time with this. But let me tell you why I'm saying that the middle ground is insanity. you got to follow with me quickly, guys. I'm going to stop first at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 11. Maybe you ought to just write these down and get them later. But Matthew chapter 5, verse 11 says this. Jesus says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Now those three words, on my account, are very important. What kind of maniac looks me in the eye and says, It's a great thing. When you're persecuted, when you're slandered, when you're killed, because of me. What kind of maniac says that? Uh, keep Go over to our text in John chapter 5. Gang, the, the text that I read to you, beginning at verse 18 and really going through the end of verse 47, but we didn't have time to read it all. Th- these words are words of a lunatic if he is not God. Look at verse 21. Verse 21, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Now, uh, first of all, he's saying that uh, he's promising a resurrection that is that the son is going to give. But who is this son? If you can find John 9 real quick. John 9, verse 36 and 35. Jesus uh, heard that they'd cast... This is John 9, 35. Jesus heard that they'd cast him out and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Verse 37, Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. Uh, You wanted to know who the Son of Man is? Well, I'm talking to you, says Jesus. Then look down here at verse 27. John 5, 27. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. Who is that? Jesus says, I'm the Son of Man, and God has given into the Son of Man's authority to execute judgment. What kind of lunatic says that? If he's not the Son of Man. Verse 23. 
that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. That is, everybody, I want you to honor me like you honor God. What if I were to say that to you? What if I were to say, listen, I'm a very, I'm getting old. I'll be 60 real soon now. And, uh, you know, I'm a very honorable kind of guy. And y'all ought to honor me like you honor God. What would you think of me? How long do would you let me occupy this pulpit? If I said something like that to you. Um, verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who will hear will live. What? You, what if I were to say that? You know, I do your funerals, but later on you're going to hear my voice. What would you think of me, ladies and gentlemen? Um, verse 27, we've already read. <clears throat> I'm your judge. I execute judgment. I'm the son of man. How about John chapter 3, verses 13 through 15? No one has ascended into heaven except he who's descended from heaven, the son of man. He's already identified who that is. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the son of man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. I'm the son of man, and if you believe in me, you have eternal life. How about John chapter 6? This John, John chapter 6 is just... It's just crazy. He talks about, in verse 33, he says, um, For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven. And then he says in verse 35, I am the bread of life. And then he says in verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. You need to eat the bread. I'm the bread. Eat me. Ladies and gentlemen, what kind of lunatic do you have to be to say those things if they're not so. Got one more for you. It's in John chapter 7. And really, this is my favorite. But John 7, verses 37 and 38. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. If you believe in me, says Jesus, out of you will flow rivers of living water. Guys, if Jesus was only a man, then he was certainly not a good man. Because good men don't lie like this. Good men don't lead others, millions of others, to a senseless, pointless death. Good men don't make promises that are knowingly false when so much is at stake. If he was not the Christ then he was the Antichrist. To stand in the middle ground trying to look intelligent is very American. And it is the height of insanity. He has not left you that option. He did not intend to. Again, truth excludes whatever contradicts it. For an example, 2 plus 2 equals 4. So everything other than 4 is a contradiction of the truth. 2 plus 2 is not 4.1. It's not 6.3. It's not 9.7. It's not 63.6. It's 4. Truth excludes whatever contradicts it. 
And for every theological yes, there are a million theological no's. Gang, this is not some kind of rant in favor of fundamentalism. It's a plea. I'm pleading with you, God's people, that we are on the brink of giving up the soul of Christianity. Truth. The truth of truth is in doubt these days by professing Christians. Take one more step with me and I'm, we're going to quit. Those of us who know that Jesus is not a lunatic or a liar, we know who he is. Tell me this. How do we explain our middle ground Christianity, our mediocre, lukewarm Christianity? How do we explain it? He's nowhere close to the Lord of our lives, but we call him that. He's nowhere close to being the king in my, in my life. But we call him that. Ladies and gentlemen, either worship him or despise him. You know, at this point, atheists are more intellectually consistent than we are. Because at least they know that if, if he wins, they lose. But somehow... We've got all these vague notions about this moral reformer who did something on Calvary but allows us to live for and to seek a lifetime of pleasure. I got another quote for you, but this one's not in your... This is from Fulton Sheen, kind of a controversial figure himself, but this is great, I thought. If he is what he claimed to be, a savior, a redeemer, then we have a virile Christ and a leader worth following in these terrible times. One who will step into the breach of death, crushing sin, gloom, and despair. A leader to whom we can make totalitarian sacrifice without losing but gaining freedom and whom we can love even unto death. We need a Christ today who will make cords and drive the buyers and the sellers from our new temples, who will blast the unfruitful fig tree, who will talk of crosses and sacrifices and whose voice will be like the voice of the raging sea. But he will not allow us to pick and choose among his words, discarding the hard ones and accepting the ones that please our fancy. We need a Christ who will restore moral indignation who will make us hate evil with a passionate intensity and love goodness to a point where we can drink death like water. Sure do. C.S. Lewis said in another place, he said, a moderate religion, a moderate religion is as good for us as no religion at all and more amusing. They're laughing at us, ladies and gentlemen. They're laughing at us. And we deserve it. You know why they're laughing? Because we have a moderate religion. 
Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. What kind of lunatic would say that unless it were so? Os Guinness, another one of my heroes, said, Hell, hell is nothing less than the truth known too late. Let's pray. Our Father, I pray that you will stir in the hearts of this small band of Christian people a sense of the solid underneath them, a sense of the the permanent, of the fixed, of the true, a, a sense of the safe and the secure. Oh God, give us a a dying commitment to truth and to the one who is consummate incarnate truth, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray.